The Lollygaggers Podcast is on the lookout for a cowardly third host to join Brainless Justin and Heartless Jeff. Apply via five-star iTunes review and someone will contact you. In this episode, Justin finishes Maniac and reads Monstrous, while Jeff slaughters peasants and village attacks and returns to the 90s with things from the flood. Both Lollygaggers then break down and properly overthink the new Netflix mystery Hold the Dark for ending with the Gentleman's Challenge. Welcome to episode number 27 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a geek show about all sorts of different things from games to movies, comics to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, buddy? It's going swell, man. It's going it's going pretty good. I got some I got some video gaming in today, which is really strange. But uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Is that, was it a first person shooter? No, it was a uh, it was a, it was one of those battle royale games, but like a MOBA type. I'm not ready to really ah. talk about it too much. I only played for like an hour and a half, but uh, but Gabe and I are playing it because um because he's my bae and uh yeah yeah we're playing it together because it's only duo and uh he's yeah. gonna be very upset from hearing this that he'll, he's he'll be okay friend. he's got destiny 2 to play with gabe he's got uh divinity original sin 2 to play with gabe still got those rainbow six siege games that you guys all play so they want me to get it's... destiny 2 as well i don't know if i should Hey, I mean, you've got a pretty tall order with, you know, rating and uh, wow, like in Rainbow Six Siege and stuff. So it's going to be pretty difficult for you to keep up with all that. So be careful. I'll you know, try. Don't overdo it. That's what I'm saying. All right, buddy. So, the other thing is we had a game night yesterday, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. So we had a game night. Uh, so those very people are just talking about Gabe, Keith. Uh, Longley, Josh all came over, played some games. And one of the games that we played, uh, I want to talk about today. It's called uh, it's called Village Attacks. It is okay. a game by, yeah, it's got it's by uh, Grimlord Games. It's the name of the publisher. It's designed by Adam Smith. It is a Kickstarter game that I received, oh, I want to say about three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. Um, it is the second game that I've gotten from these guys. Uh, I got also Endure the Stars as well. Um, my wife and I started playing it last week and we played it i think maybe five or six or seven times or something like that and then we played it again this week another three or four times so i probably played it about 12 times at this point uh so it's got art from a bunch of different people i'm not exactly sure who does what uh, but the theme is it's kind of like a gothic horror era type so in the vein of like settings for like dracula or van helsing or frankenstein type days is that type of era um and the basic premise is that there's a castle that sits in this remote area of the world and within it, the most dangerous and evil creatures from folklore and fiction have taken up residence. Uh, and then villagers from a variety of nearby settlements and stuff have come together in an effort to take down these evil creatures. And they descend en masse uh, to the castle. And there's kind of a twist, though, because like when I when I set up that premise, most people probably think, all right, all right. So we're playing villagers that we're trying to kill these monsters stuff like that. Cool. Except. That's not exactly what's going on. In a little twist, uh, we as players are actually playing the monsters, not the peasants. So we're playing the bad guys. But as I've been saying, it's all a matter of perspective, really, whether or not you're the bad guy. So we play the monsters, uh, humans, that is. And and the peasants themselves are actually descending on the on the actual castle and we're killing peasants and villagers and stuff like that. Uh, so it's pretty cool. So that, that little twist is kind of nice. And everyone that has played it so far is just like, that's a you know nice twist on the theme, you know, so it's just really cool. Um, so the game itself, mechanically, is a cooperative one to five player tower defense game. Um, all of the monsters, so everyone's playing a monster, plays, uh, they work together together to prevent, um, you know, the village essentially from reaching the castle's heart. That's the name of one of the tiles in the game is, is Castle Heart. 
uh, which has like a certain amount of hit points depending on the scenario you're doing. And essentially, as the peasants, as the villagers, as the hunters, etc., all start moving around the castle from tile to tile, they'll eventually get to the castle heart and do damage to it. And if it ever gets reduced to zero, then we lose. So it's it's basically tower defenses. You ever played a tower defense game? That's what this is. Uh, now the base game has five monsters that you can play as. There's a succubus, a banshee, a vampire, uh, a dulahan, which is basically a headless horseman, uh, and a lich. Um, and all monsters have different uh, special abilities uh, and different sort of uh, roles that they play. And you're able to level up over the course of the game and purchase new abilities. Um, there's three abilities, and then you can get tier. You can like kind of upgrade each of those abilities as well. You start the game usually with one ability, and then you can kind of spend XP to upgrade that one, or you can buy new ones and then upgrade those eventually. Now, there are three basic classes as well. There's Guardians, which are tanks. There's Decimators, which are DPS. And then there's Support, which is sort of a catch-all. Could be crowd control, could be a healer, could be all sorts of different things uh, to the ability to disrupt. Now, all of them do really good damage. They can do damage to things. It's no big deal. Um, the monsters also have different types. Um, these are essentially categories that are kind of important later on in the game. Uh, or at least uh, later on in the explanation, but they're called Cursed, Undead, Mythic, Arcane, and Demon. So those are the five basic uh, categories. And you usually only have one at most from each of those categories. You're never going to have like a full game of like Undead because that isn't going to work out for you in the end. Um, so anyway, they all come into play. And then there are certain villagers who have like extra skills sometimes in killing specific types. So the map itself is entirely modular. Uh, so there's different double-sided cardboard tiles that you use to make up the layout of the castle. And depending on the scenario you're using, it gives you a different map. It's like you're fill this out, place this here, this here, that here. Um, there's really large square rooms. There's smaller square rooms. And then there's all sorts of different corridor shapes. So there's like a cross, there's a there's an elbow, and then there's like the, just like a straight corridor. And so those are the three basic types, corridors, small rooms, and large rooms. Um, and then the, the rooms themselves don't really have like innately their own specific um, ability or some sort of specialty to it. But the scenario usually dictates whether or not certain rooms have special abilities. You put this little token to sort of signify it. And so, for example, what commonly happens in a lot of scenarios is at the outdoor cemetery, if a, if a monster ends their turn there, they take on a burning condition and then they start taking damage every turn until they get rid of that condition. So sometimes that happens. And other scenarios actually offer buffs to certain villagers. Um, the game itself is round based, which means that every round there's a couple different phases. There's the monster phase where all of us are essentially taking a series of actions. And then there's the villager phase and there's a cleanup phase. So when it's the monster phase, we all um, kind of just going around in a circle. We take a series of actions based upon dice that we roll. So everyone's got their own dice. There's six action dice that are specially designed for this particular game. Uh, and depending on what you roll, you can do all sorts of different things. You can cast magical abilities. You can attack from range. You can attack from melee. You can block damage. You can deflect damage. And then there's one really bad face of the die. And that's like this little torch, which basically means villager action. And so it allows one villager the furthest away from the castle heart to actually move a little bit closer. And you don't want to roll those. Those are bad. Um, now, the dice also can be used for movement. So pretty much any dice, with the exception of that torch, can be used for movement, which is really nice. Each monster tile has spaces for how many spots you can potentially move in a certain turn. Some monsters are faster than others, so some uh, can move three spaces in a turn if you're putting enough di dice down, and some, like the dragger, can only move one because it's, like, it's slow and lumbering. Um, others have like extra space for actions of like defense or extra spaces to reserve. So it's like every monster has got slightly different layout of like how many of different types of actions or how many of different types of dice you can actually use. Um, so some are, like I said, some are tanky, so they might have more defensive slots, and some are fast, so they might have more speed. 
Um, thankfully, there's also some dice mitigation too, because I know sometimes when you roll dice, you can get kind of frustrating if you're just rolling the same dice. So they have this thing where you roll, you roll your six dice, and then after you roll the six dice, you look at all the face, the faces of the die. And if you see that you've rolled three of the same thing, you can always re-roll it. And that's something you can choose to do. So if you get like three torches, you re-roll three torches. Or if you get like three defense die and you're like, I really want some offensive stuff, then you can re-roll those as well. Um, and you can also reserve dice for future for a future turn. So if like you roll a melee attack, but you can't actually use it this turn, but you're going to be able to use it on your next turn, you can kind of reserve it based on your reserve spot on your character sheet. And then you can kind of move on and use it the next time your time your your turn comes up. Now, when a, once a monster completes their turn, when they use all the die that they're going to use, uh, the next person goes and the next person goes and so on and so on. And so then all the monsters go first and they get it all done. Um, one of the other things monsters can do is they can often um, buy traps. So there's like this little trap tray. Like we can always have like three, like there's three traps at most you can purchase using one of those dice or one of those die. And you can place it in one of those rooms, depending. So there's things like um, a log, you know, a log trap or a spike floor or um, uh, like a big old boulder trap, stuff like that can potentially wipe out some of the oncoming villagers that are moving down the corridors and the rooms towards you. Um, then other things like you you have to do is after the monster phase, you have to do the villager phase, which is when the villagers get a chance to actually attack. Uh, and if they can't attack, then they just keep moving. And so they get closer and closer to that castle heart, which is usually somewhere in the center. Um, and then you're also spawning uh, more villagers as well. So every round you're spawning brand new ones from a, a variety of predetermined spawn points. And you also might have to deal with extra villager events. These villager events could like add bonuses to a certain type of villager or they can just have you spawn more or they can spawn like a troll. There's all sorts of weird things that could potentially happen. Um, then after that, you do the cleanup phase. The cleanup phase allows you to do more traps and kind of basically sets everything up for the next round. Um, now, the villagers have uh, have different ranges in power. Um, so there's the very lowest level is the, the peasants who are weak and slow and really easy to kill. And they only can attack from melee. Then there's hunters, which are a little bit stronger. They can attack from a little bit of range. And they usually have specialty in killing one type of monster. So they could might, might have specialty in killing like a demon. And so they'll do like double damage to the demon as opposed to regular damage to everybody else. Um, there's usually an equal number of what are called village heroes in the game as uh, as there are monsters. So if you're playing with three monsters, there's probably going to be three village heroes and they're going to match up in terms of type. So if you have a cursed, a demon and an undead monster, then you're going to have town heroes that are specialty in killing cursed demons and undead as well. Um, so it kind of matches up. And these these village heroes are all or town heroes are all kind of really unique. So they're kind of like the monster, uh, the monsters themselves. They have like their own little personality. Um, they have their own like kind of history in some way, like some sort of reference to folklore and some of them are pretty cool, you know. Um, so there's things like the uh, the scald, the like the plague hunter, or excuse me, the plague doctor, which comes from one of the expansions. And um, there's the alchemist and the grave digger, the executioner, the bounty hunter. Those are all like base game uh, stuff as well. And they all have their own stats, and they're much harder to kill. So, uh, and you you really got to like, kind of look out for those because those can actually really take out not just uh, a monster, but they can really kind of push past and get down to the heart of the uh, the actual castle itself. Um, so as the scenario continues, like whenever, whatever you're playing, um, there's like 15 different scenarios in the, in the base game, I think new villagers are spawning every round. And then as the game progresses, you're spawning more and more because as the game gets further along, it's not just spawning like two or three villagers. Now you're spawning six or seven, or maybe you're even spawning more than that, depending upon how many people are playing. And like that horde of peasants is just moving and moving all the while, like you're killing villagers and you're trying to reduce like a village morale dial down to zero. And if you or trying to complete some other specific objective, but if you can get it down to zero, that usually means you win. 
unless there's some other like scenario specific objective that you actually have to do. So it's really just about slaughtering peasants, just slaughtering a bunch of peasants and villagers, uh, which is really, really nice. Uh, if at any point your castle heart gets reduced to zero, or if um, you don't uh, achieve some objective you're supposed to, then you lose. Um, there's no player elimination, but your monster can die. And if your monster dies, you can respawn. You just, your castle heart loses health. So you really don't want to die if you can avoid it. Uh, so I've been playing, like, like I said, I've been playing this game a bunch for the past two weeks. Um, it's sort of like the first of the, the Halloween themed or horror themed games I'm going to be talking about over the course of October. Um, I played it at two player. I played it at three player and I've played it at five player. There's all sorts of different rules. Since it's co-op, you can kind of play it however you want. Like the game itself is is specifically for one to five players, and there's some slight tweaks you make depending upon the number of monsters you have in game. Um, that slight tweaks to in terms of how many stuff spawns per turn. So it's really not that difficult to to scale it. Um, there's pretty good depth in the game, I would say. I mean, it is a dice trucking game, but at the same time, there's like some really I think good decisions. You get to level up and choose your abilities and the order in which you choose that abilities and how you combo them with other, you know, other monsters on your team and how you, you know, is, is really, really interesting. Um, if you make really bad decisions, like it's very easy for the castle heart to get overwhelmed and things should just sort of uh, slide all the way into awful. Um, so it's not, it's not like some brainless dice check. There's actually strategy there, um, which is really nice. It's a really good mix of just sort of laid back fun, but also like good choices. So, if you're making bad choices, you're going to get slaughtered. My wife and I, when we were playing two player, we lost some, you know, and we got a little bit better and we've, we've won more sense, but like um, we're going to start cranking up the difficulty because there's some variant rules from some of the expansions that you can use to make the game a little bit more difficult. There's this day and night cycle that you can add, um, which is supposed to up the difficulty a little bit. There's also a troll expansion that you can put in, which adds just like an agent of chaos. It isn't necessarily on either side, like the villagers or the monsters. It's just sort of there to wreak havoc. Sometimes it can help you, sometimes it can't. Um, there's a whole separate kind of hunter from the Horrors of the Sands expansion called the Yunfa, I don't know how to pronounce this, Yunfa or Yunfa, something like that, hunters, uh, which are a little bit stronger than the normal hunters, but not necessarily as strong as town heroes. Um, so I keep saying expansions. I got this game off Kickstarter. Uh, the core box has five monsters, uh, one from each type, it has five town heroes, one from each type. And it's got a bunch of peasants and a bunch of villagers. And it's got a bunch of tiles and like about 15, I think about 15 um, scenarios you can play through. The first five of which are kind of like a how to play. It slowly teaches you how to play over the course of this campaign, which is a really smart addition, I think. Um, but then there's a ton of expansions that I hope come to retail. I'm not entirely sure if and when they're all going to come to retail. But I know that Grimlord Games did put up some of the expansions from their previous game uh, up on up on their own personal store so like i do feel like they're eventually going to be available and these offer most of these expansions offer like two new heroes and two new monsters and there's some really cool things like there's red caps there's dragger there's the boogeyman there's baba yaga there's an ifrit and there's like a ton more you get like for village heroes there's this big celt with a uh, celt with a club there's a plague doctor there's an illusionist um, there's all sorts of things I think the components are really good. I think the miniatures look great. The sculpts are awesome. One of the reasons I was like super happy to support this Kickstarter, not only because I had their previous game and I liked it, but also because I'm like, I'm going to use these villagers in my D&D &D and now my Zweihander games. Like they're going to see tons of views, not just in the board game, which I really enjoy, but also like in our RPGs. So I really cannot speak highly enough uh, about Village Attacks. It really it really surprised me how much I we all really liked the game. Everyone who's played it so far has really enjoyed it, wanted to play it again. Um, so... 
I would highly recommend it if you can find it. I don't know if it's hit retail yet. They usually like to deliver their all their Kickstarter backers first before hitting it to retail on like, you know, a miniature market or cool stuff. But uh, definitely look to check it out. And I know they have a new Kickstarter coming in a couple of weeks that I'll probably talk about once that drops. Uh, but anyway, Village Attacks, uh, it's by Grimlord Games. Great job by them. I really, really enjoy it. It's an awesome theme. It's a fun little twist on sort of a, a, a formula that might be a little bit familiar, but uh, really good cooperative game. Well, uh, I kind of got involved in a uh, a new comic book uh, this past week. I saw, yeah. Um, so I like to go on uh, Comicsology and look at Eisner Award winners. There's usually a section where they have stuff where you can like, you know, you can get like noteworthy uh, like graphic novels or Eisner Award winners, and Eisners are like the Emmys for comic books. So right. I just decided to kind of pick up a new one. It looks a little different. It's different from what I would ever read. It's called Monstrous. It is published by Image Comics. Written by Marjorie Liu and artist Santa Takeda. So basically, the, the way they describe it is it's a series set in a matriarchal world inspired by the uh, early 20th century Asia. So like basically, there's no men in this whole thing. Um, and tells the story of Micah Halfwolf, a teenage girl who shares a mysterious psychic link with a powerful monster. Um, so basically, the background of the story is that there's these two different factions there's the arcanists which are like magical creatures and can pass for humans sometimes or they can also be kind of like childish or like fox like because like the best way i can kind of describe the art in this is final fantasy all right so okay. you know it's like, like steampunky right isn't it sort of steampunk? yeah it's, it's yeah. steampunky you know like when they remastered all the final fantasies and put them on playstation yes it was a wonderful it was a wonderful time yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they they had like special art for all the new like video games where it looks very like uh emo-y steampunky. Um kind of I mean I know like in terms of like the marketing material, like the cover yeah, 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 and like yeah. The, yeah, the CD of the actual CDs and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I know what you're so talking about. That's the best way I can kind of describe how this looks. It almost looks like feudal Japan sometimes too with the way their faces look very um demon-esque type of looking type of stuff which is really cool looking but as a whole the best way i could describe it would be like steampunk final fantasy anyways so the arcanists are like a, a group of magical beings and there's also uh, uh these witches and these witches are part of this other group and they've been at war for years they used to be a time where they were together um but now something happened that caused a, a rift between the two groups and now they basically hunt and kill each other so occasionally she has a demon inside of her emerge and she's basically part uh, monster and can't control it. So she's kind of special. And so I looked at this and I was like, um, this looks kind of weird, but it's getting good praise. So I'm going to try it out. So first off, uh, the storyline's a little convoluted to start off because they're really trying to build this like uh, world for them. So there's all this setup of like, who they are, what they're doing, what are these different types of stuff? Like the the arcanists are these special magical individuals. A lot of them are childlike, um, but like she looks almost like she's an adult. You know, there's a whole bunch of background story. These witch people, and there's all women. There's very few men. In this whole thing, I think I saw maybe one man, and he smashed his head to death. So you got rid of that real quick. But like. There's this, there's a thing where the witches need to take the arcanists and consume them so they can gain their powers. 
and there's these diff- there's this thing called uh, Lulis that like drains the Arcanus of their powers, but empowers and brings the witches back to life. Like there's a whole thing of uh, of a uh, like this world that they're creating. It takes a little bit to get into it, and some of the comics are a little large. The first comic in the series is about 74 pages long, which is the size of a giant size uh, anniversary comic. But they're trying really their best to try and create this world. The art is unbelievable. Um, sometimes it's a little bit meh with like the character faces and stuff. But when they get into like the detail of the monsters and like when they're trying to show like the different special things of the of the uh, settings and stuff like that or uh, different stuff, it's really quite intricate and beautiful and must take forever to do i just can't imagine this taking a small amount of time because like instead of it being like uh, a shirt it's a shirt with embroidery that goes on almost infinitely into itself and it's very very pretty um and I, I like the way it looks it's very bloody too and that also reminds me a lot of like a feudal japan type of look at times because like these demon faces come out and there's these the, this blood and stuff and it looks very much like some t- something from like an old scroll it's, it's really interesting it to they kind of go back and forth between a super intricate pretty look to these old scroll types looks um it's currently ongoing issues it's 18 long um uh the main character is very interesting uh makai a half wolf and her story of how she's trying to like avenge her mother yet understand like who she is and what she comes from and why is this demon inside of her type of thing it's really interesting and i cannot praise the way it looks enough sometimes i'm watching this stuff it's just like man this must just take forever and it's very cool and interesting so uh i'm gonna keep on reading it i got the first i got the first uh collection which was six comics i think i'm gonna keep on going through the volumes and see where it goes because it's got me really intrigued right now. Every once in a while, I like to try and pick some up. I, I never re- read anything from uh, Marjorie Lou, and the best thing about it too, it's image. So like, it's her character, it's her stuff. You, you're not going to see her pop up in an issue of Spider Man. Uh, it's it's this person's character. That would be and, that would be very strange. It would be the strange. time difference. Yeah. Yeah, but like, but what's what I like about Image Comics is whenever someone creates something, it's their project, it's their beginning, middle, and end, and they can decide what to do with it. It's their IP. So that's what's interesting about Image. So like, there's not going to be someone later down the line who's going to pick this up and make another 100 ep, uh, like comics. This is just going to be her, and she decides what to do with it. So um, again, that's Monstrous by Image Comics. Check it out if that's kind of like your thing, if you like this type of like steampunky Asian type of look. I would never usually been into this, but I was like, let's try something. So uh, I thought it was good. Check it out. So that's my uh, comic book. Right on. I, too, uh, have a comic that I want to talk about really quick. Uh, so I picked up the uh, Stranger Things issue one just came out a couple days ago. Um, it was a comic book? Yeah. Dark Horse came out on the I want to say 26th. Uh, it's written by Jody Hauser and it's art by Stefano Martino. Um, I picked it up, honestly, because it's October or almost October and I'm jonesing for some Stranger, thing, Stranger yeah, Things. It's about and- that time, right? But it's not coming because they delayed it. It's not coming out. So like I what? feel no. You, what you haven't heard this? What do you? Where the hell you been, man? You're on a you're on an entertainment podcast. Well, how do you not know this? I, I didn't know it was delayed. It's not. It's yeah. It was. Uh, so anyway, we're not really getting it. So it's kind of kind of sucks. But anyway, um, so I picked it up. It's kind of interesting. Um, it 
it's not retelling the exact same stuff from the television show but what it's doing is it's focusing on will's story after he goes missing in the upside down so you know first first season of of stranger things if you're unfamiliar with the show um the show is set in the 80s right that's the whole idea it's set in the 80s and it's a bunch of like these uh, there's a bunch of kids um like you know D D uh, D geeks and whatnot um but the one of the kids goes missing and a couple other you know somebody else goes missing later on but i won't spoil it in case you haven't watched the movie or haven't watched the show but uh will goes missing and we learn at the end like where he was he's in this place called the upside down or what we colloquially now know as the upside down and so this particular comic is actually following will's story um and so what he was doing ever since uh you know he went disappearing so the first issue picks up pretty much that's that rpg night that starts to that starts the show and it's like will kind of desperately running into his shed you remember that part where like he's in his shed and he's like trying to get the shotgun and like the lights kind of going on and off and like yeah, he's yeah, being yeah, chased yeah. by something that's where it picks up so it's it's pretty pretty authentic to that and it seems to be running concurrent to like the story of season one um it shows bits and pieces that explain some of the weird things the weird goings on that were happening in season one like why the tv glitched out a little bit and why we could hear will's voice on like the phone on the walkie-talkie and stuff like that so he was it was like him trying to communicate and so we can see him doing it so if you're a fan or if you're familiar with the season like you're you're gonna pick up on those things it's not just gonna be like oh well we see that but now it's like oh so that's why the tv did that okay um you also see 11 which is really the only um real character that shows up other than will for the most part other than like the actual monster um, but 11's not really there just sort of like kind of this weird uh, you know ethereal glimpse of her um for now um so it's pretty much a sort of setup. Like, I don't think there's a ton of story yet. Uh, it's an issue. It's first issue. Uh, it's maybe 30 pages. Uh, there's not a whole lot going into it yet. I'm kind of curious where it's going to go. I'll, I'll say, like, I'll probably keep reading it in, at, at, at least until the actual show comes back so I can get my fix back in. Um, but I'm, I am kind of curious to where it's going to go and what's going to happen in terms of Will's storyline, because... We know that in the TV series, there's all sorts of lingering, lingering effects that he's suffering from since his time in the Upside Down. And so I'm wondering if maybe we're getting a little bit deeper glimpse into like what actually caused that or if there's any other little, you know, hidden things about the Upside Down that we might learn about. Even if it's not necessarily canon to the show, it still might be kind of an interesting universe to explore. I'm also really curious if Barbara's going to show up because uh, honestly, I mean, alive or dead, I don't really care. Stranger Things, in my opinion, needs to do right by her because she was wronged. Um, justice but for Barbara. Justice for Barbara, you're darn right. Um, so anyway, it was a pretty fun read, but it's, you know, it's it's a first issue, so it's kind of modest. There's not like a, a ton of things that's happening. I think much like Stranger Things uh, kind of did a whole lot of referencing to a lot of, and is really used like nostalgia as a way to like earn its way into the hearts of many people as a, you know, in addition to actually having a really good story. I do think the comic in itself is also using references and using just the kind of the name that, that sort of get people to potentially read it. I don't really think it's done anything yet to really stand out on zone, but it's again, it's one, it's one issue. It's 30 pages. There's still time to go. So, but I'm, I'm open to, to read some more. First issue was like three bucks, three, four bucks, I think on comiXology or dark horse digitals. You can get it either place. I think it's three ninety nine. Um, and issue two is dropping on Halloween, it says, so October 31st. So it's a couple of weeks before issue two uh, drops. But that's Stranger Things. Issue number one is from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, you can find it uh, online pretty easily. So there you go. Speaking of uh, winning, it's winning the hearts of others, I finished a show that we watched, like, from beginning to mm -hmm. end. Mm -hmm. 
I did it. Congratulations on uh, trying to develop credibility. As I a got reviewer. it. Yeah, it's great. So I finished Maniac, um, and I agree with you. This show is unbelievable. Um, cool. Now, now that I have a chance to kind of like see it from beginning to end, I really enjoy uh, the entire story. Um, the things that really got me going were those two short episodes, the 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 elf episodes. Um, I thought those were good. Sure. The elf sure. slash uh, gangster episodes. Uh, it was very the gangster episode was my favorite. Like, I'm sorry, Jonah Hill. I don't know what he I don't know what kind of gangster you're supposed to be looking at. But every time I saw him, I thought he was like a gangster slash Hasidic Jew. It was really strange. It was just awesome. <laughs> it's so good in those episodes. Um, but like, that's where I was like, all right, I'm 100% in this. This might be one of my favorite shows ever. Um, because then they get into like, like how his father gets secrets out of people. And man, that was just I thought they were going to turn away or mm-hmm. stop at some point. Mm-hmm. They did not. They showed everything. I told Wobbly that uh, our friend Wobbly, who he and I, you know, for a very long time have always geeked out together about TV the most because we were huge Lost fans and we both love leftovers and stuff. And I told him you he needs to he needs to watch this because it's sort of in that same framework, you know, same vein. And I'm like, and we both started uh, talking about how Gabriel Byrne is basically a national treasure. And like, you know, we, we, he's so good. And I'm like, yeah, he's in it. And there's a scene with him. And it's the one you just referenced where, whew, it's, it's Gabriel Byrne in a different light. I, I, yeah, yeah, it's different. But yeah, it's uh, pretty amazing. But my favorite episode overall was the ninth episode with the, uh, what, what did he call, what was Jonah's character's name? What was it? Ashfuli? Is that his name? I forget his name. The, I don't remember the Icelandic character he played. Oh, that was amazing! That character. Uh, I thought that was like a whole Doctor Strange love reference, wasn't that? Wasn't that all that all that Maybe. was? Maybe like, like the whole thing, the whole setup of it. But yeah, with the alien and everything, that's so good. I thought the story <laughs> with the alien was great. How how it, its fate and happened it's fantastic. And then I'm always a sucker for a single shot action scene. I'm always a sucker for that. They did it in uh, Why the uh, Not Wild Man. They did it in uh, Children of Men. They did it in uh, uh, was it True Detective, and they did it in both in both seasons of Daredevil. And whenever that happens, I'm so impressed. And they did that in the ninth episode when they're escaping from the uh, facility. And I can see Emma Stone as an action hero easily right now, like because that whole scene was for crazy. sure. For it sure. was. It was unbelievable. I loved the way they set everything up. It was just so cool. Like the chain gun thing looked amazing. Like I was just, I had to stop it and watch it again. I loved it. Um, the ending is very satisfying and just sweet and hit me to the core. Cause but not I, overly sentimental, which is one of the things I it really wasn't, liked about it. Yeah. It, to me, it hit me really to the core because I think this movie is about uh, two main, I, or this TV show is about two main ideas loss and feeling alienated from others and you know that that's their their two main things feeling like they're not a part of a group and also that you know how do you deal with this this major tragedy in your life where you just you you don't know how to get over it properly and everything with emma stone's character just hit so hard to home with me it was so good um and it's just a thing where it's like I was way more into her character than I was for uh, Jonah Hill, but I will say 
from beginning to end, Jonah Hill's performance was fantastic between all the characters he did because just him as Owen alone was just so good. He he makes he really makes you think he's just this guy that that is just having a rough go of it and he doesn't know what's happening, you know. And just I thought he did a fantastic job, but Emma Stone her story it hit me real hard. I liked it a lot. So the other thing I want to do though, if they don't go back to this, which is fine, I really want to see what those other floors are. I really, really want to see those other floors. It's it's a one shot. Like it's it's done. Like they 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 built it as a mini series. Yeah, so, I know. Uh, man, I, I would love to see those other floors. I definitely want it to just stand on its own. I, man, Justin I, Trudeau or not Trudeau the the Prime Minister of of Canada, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Justin Thoreau. Okay. Justin like, Thoreau. When you said that, I'm like, what? The can from Canada? Justin no. Thoreau yeah. is so good in this yeah he's show. one of my favorites he's, he's given everything he's just he, so he honestly sold me in like the leftovers like the leftover when i watched him in the leftovers that dude should have won like best best actor and then carrie coon should have won best actress like you know the two of them they should have won three easy because they had three seasons they should have won three times because they were just so that, that good it's like it's, to me it's a travesty that they did so but yeah in terms of justin thoreau yeah he was uh he was amazing absolutely just, amazing the way that his character is just kind of like constantly uncomfortable and just shook to the core by his mother. It's just so weird and great. I just love his character and his like hysterical fit that he has makes no sense. And it's so strange, but man, I, I just, this might be one of the top for me. And I'm glad it has a beginning, middle and end. Like you said, I like these type of things. You mentioned this quite a bit before. Uh, with other TV shows, I like that it's it's done, and like you had a full yeah. story. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like there's fillers, you know. Like that was everything matters. One of the frustrations, yeah, it's one of the always frustrations that many people had, myself included, with like Lost and some of these other shows, is that they didn't necessarily have an end in mind, and so they just started writing stuff and they opened up all these other questions and things, and then and it's just like by the time you got to the end, you're like, oh, we have so many you know dangling threads that we don't know what the hell to do with, and we didn't really have stories that we necessarily felt super great about to begin with. We just put them in there because we needed to fill. And whereas this, it's it's a nice tight story, and it, and, it, and it's a weird story, but it, it tells it tells it what it is, you know, it tells its narrative, and and it's out. It doesn't have to do anything more than that. And I, I really have been enjoying watching limited series like that. So yeah, I just wanted to first uh, show my uh, excitement of finishing a show. And then uh, finish talking about this because I have the full scope of the whole thing. And I, like you said, like you said last week, I, I can't recommend this enough to people. This is, I have a guy I work with, and he always wants to know like what you should watch. Them. Like I said immediately, Maniac. It's like the first two episodes yeah. are kind of strange, but once be you start patient. getting into it, yeah, it's good. Just be be patient through the first two episodes because I mean, everyone I've talked to, Keith said the same thing. <laughs> Just be patient through the first two episodes. Once they get into the once they get into the trial, holy crap, does this show open up? Like it's 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 really good. So that's all I want to say about that. You got anything else? I do. I have one thing I want to talk about here, uh, and I gotta. I'm gonna. I'm gonna break up a little little sound from the past. I I love that piece of sound. Uh, <laughs> you know how long? Feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I know that's what it's supposed to be. Like I cut it a little short. So, but like we stopped doing the, the specialty segments and I wanted to bring it back. So anytime I talk about RPG news or an RPG Kickstarter, like I'm about to, 
I'm playing that darn song. Uh, so anyway, I want to talk about a Kickstarter that is for a RPG, a role-playing game, and it's called Things from the Flood. Uh, it is a, quote, standalone sequel or expansion. I can't remember the exact phrase in these, but it's basically a standalone sequel to the award-winning Tales from the Loop role-playing game, which uh, hit Kickstarter a couple years back, and everyone loved it, and it's won awards, et cetera, as I said. Uh, and Tales from the Loop is often compared to Stranger Things, actually, because it involves kids, if you play as kids in the 80s, uh, that's dealing with these weird science fictional elements that are happening in their town, like some weird scientific community conspiracy that's happened. Um, but Things from the Flood is a is made by the same people. Uh, so it's uh, it's created and published by Free League, that's the name of the company. And not only did they do Tales from the Loop, they also did Mutant Year Zero and Coriolis, which is another game I'm super interested in, which is this like heavy sci-fi game that next time we do sci-fi RPG, we might do. But uh, just to say that they've done a lot of good stuff and they're they're RPG uh, vets and they know what they're doing. So anyway, Things from the Flood, which is what this Kickstarter is about, is actually teenagers in the 90s as opposed to kids in the 80s. Um, and kind of like they, the kids grew up into the 90s. Uh, so they're once again dealing with like these strange goings on and these dark mysteries, which is a very important word uh, for this campaign. Uh, that are foot within their town. And it possibly involves a very powerful corporation known as Crafta, uh, which purchased the land on which all those weird experiments and stuff from Tales from the Loop were taking place. Um, so it's sort of like a, a follow-up to that. Um, stories and rumors uh, have started to spread, some about teens going missing, some about teens turning up dead. So the basic premise of the game is that your your play group are teens that have come together to sort of investigate these mysteries, figure out why did our friend teens disappear? Why did they end up turn up dead? What is all this other crazy, weird science fiction stuff going on? And what the hell is going on in our town, basically? So it's a standalone sequel. But one of the things they mentioned in the Kickstarter is that the stakes are a little bit higher because in Tales from the Loop, the worst thing that could really happen because you're playing with kids is that you would just get grounded and stuff because it was, you know, it'd be kind of awful to say, like, oh, you're playing a kid character. Let's kill him off. You know, that's really strange. Uh, but in Things from the Flood, since you're playing a teen, uh, teens can actually die and they really can. So there's really are life or death situations that do happen um, as they're investigating the various crazy uh, mysteries that are happening. Um, Free League states in their Kickstarter that you are able to continue your Tales from the Loop campaign in, inside Things from the Flood if you want, or you can just start up a new. So if you're brand new to this, you've never heard it from it, and it sounds kind of interesting, you just like, I don't want to do any more 80s stuff, but the 90s, the 90s sound pretty good, you can go ahead and just jump right in. Uh, so mechanically, the game just pretty much uh, has a lot of the stuff that you'd expect to see, a lot of staples that you would see in tabletop role-playing games, so skill rolls. You know, you're going to see them all the time. Um, most most RPGs do them in some fashion. It's just sort of different, you know, different dice systems, etc. Um, so they're using a D6 system, which is the same system that they used in Loop and the same system they use in Mutant Year Zero. Uh, so basically, whenever you're looking to do a skill, whenever you're trying to do do something um, that require that's difficult enough that the GM is going to require you to to actually roll the dice, you take a number of D6 equal to whatever skill you're using. You roll them and you check to see if you have successes. So whereas in like D&D, you roll a D20 and just one, and that's how you do your check. In this game, you're rolling multiple D6s and you're counting your results and looking for successes. And the success is like rolling a six. But then one of the cool things is that if you roll additional sixes when you're doing that skill check, uh, you get extra bonus effects and what they call stunts, um, which is a mechanism that I actually really like. I've been reading about this a lot because I've been going through Warhammer 40K's Wrath and Glory Core rulebook, um, and they have something very similar uh, to this. Uh, at least on the surface anyway. So I think it's a nice uh, nice way because I'm a GM to like reward 
players that like specialize in certain abilities or certain skills and then are just really good at it, you know? Uh, so it's kind of cool. So this is up on Kickstarter. It's um, the Kickstarter is going until October 9th. Uh, so when this episode drops, it's going to be uh, October 1st. So you have a little bit over a week uh, and it ends on Tuesday, October 9th. Uh, at around uh, 12 mountain time, it says. I don't know why it's just showing me mountain time. It's actually going to deliver. The game is supposed to deliver in February 2019, but some of the pledge levels do promise a beta PDF by the end of the year, by, by Christmas time. There are a bunch of different pledge levels, so you can pick exactly what you want. Uh, the cheapest uh, that gives you anything is a $22 tier called Seeker, uh, which gives you the, the PDF of Things from the Flood. Um, and all unlock digital stretch goals. And there are a bunch of those that they've unlocked because this is doing really, really well. Um, and if, but if you prefer physical books, if you're the type of person, I'd like to usually have the core rule book as physical and then like kind of everything else is PDF. Uh, but you can go for the Street Kid tier, which is $39, um, which gives you all the, the PDF stuff that I mentioned before and a physical printed core rule book. And then there's other things as well where you can get some extra goodies like a GM screen and some maps and a dice tray and stuff like that if you want to pay any more. Um, I want to say that the, the art for the game is ac absolutely stunning. Justin, you should really look this up at some point because the cover from Things from the Flood, I want to frame it and I want to put it on my wall somewhere. It looks so amazing. It's all based on art by uh, Simon Stallenhag, um, which is what this guy's world, that he, like the world building he did in his art is really what Tales from the Loop was based off of. And same thing with Things from the Flood. And it's incredibly evocative, not just of the 80s and 90s era that he's talking about, but these really striking juxtapositions of out of this world, like science fiction elements with very familiar uh, visages of like kids and teenagers that are just sort of staring at it. Like the cover for things from the flood is so good. Um, it's this gigantic. So you got these five teens uh, that are staring uh, at this massive, like half tentacle, half machine monsters that are incredibly tall, like building size, tall lurking in this junkyard and it's on like a snowy, foggy day somewhere in like Sweden. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. It's really surreal looking. It's I know, cool. right? It's so it's so fascinating. And I, to me, like that's just that's that lures me in. Like that's the hook. Just that, just the art itself. Or like this guy with a monitor staring at these flying airships. Oh yeah, I know. You start scrolling down, looking at all this other stuff. It's amazing. Um, I actually am probably at some point going to look up to see if this guy sells his uh, his print somewhere so I can get some and, and hang them on my walls. So anyway, I, as a 90s kid, which is what I was, like I was a teen in the 90s, well, at least for some of it. Well, actually, no, for all of it. Uh, I am super excited, uh, really, really excited. Whenever we've played that Cypher System game uh, that I sometimes pull out from time to time, I have my own little like homebrew world of a 90, like that's set in the 90s. It's sort of like a Southwest desert town and like sort of an homage to Welcome to Night Vale. Uh, so I'm already in on the 90s. Like, I'm all in. I know that the 80s are really huge right now. But for me, I think the 90s are a pretty interesting and unexplored and untapped uh, place because it's just like, to me, it's like a weird transitional decade where we have the Internet, kind of, but it's not quite where it is. You know, like it's like it's like the early days of it when people well, are still just sort of figuring out retro where it's like side we'll get there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Sidekicks and razors. That's what yeah. I want. Yeah. So anyway, it's by Free League. It's called Things from the Flood. It's up on Kickstarter right now. Uh, if you're an RPGer and if you're looking for something a little bit out, you know, a little bit different, or you're looking for something a little bit more moderny, uh, not necessarily the the hard sci-fi or the uh, the traditional kind of Dungeons and Dragons types or Pathfinder type settings, uh, definitely check out Things from the Flood. Uh, it looks great. So there you go.
All right, I got one more quick thing to talk about. Quick little uh, how do you do's about uh, the uh, the entertainment industry right now. First thing, Henry Cavill's Geralt. What do you think about that? Geralt, you mean? Yeah, whatever. It's I it's Geralt. It's a it's a hard G. Well, he's super yeah. handsome. You never really played The Witcher. So I didn't, but I want to know your thoughts about it. Uh, as long as they ugly him up, I'm fine with it. He's so, he's so handsome. How ugly can you make him? He's so well, I mean, Geralt does have a certain level of attractiveness to him. So it sort of makes you. sense. And he's pretty built, too. He's just like, you know, he's got the white hair because of his, his mutant stuff. And he's got the, the kind of the yellowish eyes and whatnot. And he's got the big old scars. And he doesn't like to shave. But in the third one, you actually can shave or you can grow the beard. It's awesome beard technology, actually. That's, that's pretty pushing the limits for video game play. Yeah, yeah. So no, I'm I'm totally fine with it. Um, I'm super excited about the the Witcher series. So we'll see. I mean, I, I actually bought the books. I was I was so into the Witcher series, and I bought the books and I read them all on the plane when I was going to a conference once. So it was uh, it was awesome. Yeah. All right. Next thing, uh, new X Men trailer. Have you had a second to look at this yet? Yeah, I have. I, I'm not interested. Like seriously, I, I'm so I'm like it doesn't make sense. I don't understand why is she getting hit with like an alien thing when we already got glimpses from like apocalypse. Is apocalypse like sense like the whole Phoenix in there? I'm so confused. Like it's kind of, I, don't uh, I don't know. I think that I it's, it's just Sony just holding on to the stuff for some reason. I I just want to see them. I wish the the Disney thing would have happened sooner, so they could have just been like stop. And let's let's just do it again with these guys, because um, they could have been something interesting. I don't know if X Men yeah. are, are worth being part of anything anymore. I just think that uh, they should just stop using them for a while. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's just my thoughts. Uh, last thing, uh, did you see the footage of Joaquin Phoenix as Joker at all? Yeah, it came out well, like a week and a half ago. I think it's uh, pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he looks great. I am really looking forward to this movie. Um, I assume that the Jared Leto one uh, is going to be terrible. Uh, it's going to be terrible. not because of Jared Leto, even though yes. I don't like him, but not because of him. I just think it's going to be terrible because I just don't like that iteration. But uh, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix. I'm really excited that because it's the Killing Joke, isn't it? Aren't they like heavily relying on that as source material? No, or? Killing Joke is not. Uh... Well, yeah. Well, that's what I, I read. So uh, I hope that's true. Because yeah, I, it's it's gonna be mostly about like. But for me, it's like it doesn't make too much sense because Killing Joke is like you know he is down on his luck and then he has to go do something to try and make money. I'm curious because like the the Joker's like start like beginnings is very amalgus. Like the whole story in Killing Joke could just be a lie. Like you just don't know. Um, so it's just like. They can literally do whatever they want, but I like having a good actor with a gritty type of look rather than a super gangster Joker with no eyebrows. So that's what I'm looking more forward to. Um, but I like Walking Phoenix. It, it should be good. I don't know the whole Jared Little thing. I just it just confuses me what they're doing over there at DC, and I think that they don't know what they're doing either when it comes to like their their organization. Well, so. separate separate production crews that I think that are making the. It's like it's like it's not the same production houses that are making the two films, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Would both really be anything WB based or whatever? I don't know. I mean, I don't know the parenting of it all, but I, I mean, it's different. It's different folks that are making each of these movies. So yeah, but 
I don't think the killing joke, when I mentioned the killing joke, I didn't mean like it was like a direct adaptation, but I thought it was supposed to be like inspired that kind of Probably. idea of like a Joker origin story, the way that the killing joke kind of is a Joker origin story, like through yeah. the flashback, right? So, yeah. It's going to be interesting. I, everything I see so far, he looks just menacing. So, my only thing about Joker stuff is the reason why the Joker's so good in comic books is because they barely use him, they barely ever use him. And if you oversaturate the market with Joker, no one's going to care anymore. And so, like, they would have a Joker story, a prime Joker story in the comic books once every, like, 10, 12 years. And that would be it. And that's why there's that's why every story of the Joker is great, because they barely ever use him. So when you oversaturate him, you're kind of getting rid of the purpose of his character. He's an agent of chaos right. to kind of mix stuff up. So that's the only thing I worry about. Anyways, that's all I got to talk about. Okay. Move on. All right. Uh, I don't got anything more, so I think it's time for us to go talk about like a really uh, 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 strange, um, another yeah. Netflix strange things. Let's do, let's do a breakdown. It's the movie breakdown. So, Hold the Dark is a 2018 mystery thriller directed by Jeremy Saulnier and now airing on Netflix. Uh, it stars Jeffrey Wright and you'll probably recognize him from Westworld, uh, as a wolf expert in author named Russell Kaur. He travels to the remote Alaskan village of Keelet after Medora Sloan, who's played by Riley Keough, uh, loses her son to a pack of wolves, uh, just one of several related uh, pack of wolves missing kid mysteries. And she requests that Kaur come kill the wolves that are responsible because no one in the village is really taking the time to do so. Uh, so Core agrees. This is all almost pre-credits. This is all kind of happening or kind of during the opening sequence. And when he reaches Keelet, he's met with honestly increasingly bizarre behavior. At first by Medora, um, who at one point tries to get him to strangle her. Uh, and later by her husband, Vernon, who's played by Alexander Skarsgård uh, from True Blood and a variety of other things. Um, as well as other members of the village, uh, one of whom uh, goes pretty crazy uh, with an incredibly violent scene that I won't spoil here. Uh, Vernon is not the uh, is not there originally um, because he's actually serving in the military, but he returns shortly after Kor's arrival. Um, he doesn't take the news of his son uh, his son's death well, and there's other details about that death that also trigger him a little bit. And he has some really violent behavior that spirals the movie into a sometimes obtuse and sometimes riveting mystery in Manhunt. Uh, as Core, uh, Jeffrey Wright's character, teams with a local cop, Donald, played by James Badge Dale, in an effort to find Vernon. And so it kind of becomes this, let's hunt this guy down type of movie. Um, it's bloody, it's moody, and it's perhaps even a bit mystical at times. Um, Hold the Dark offers a series of wounded people reacting in ways that, as Core himself suggests, do not quite fit our own experiences. So we're going to try to make sense of it as best we can. Uh, and we're going to talk about the text that Justin sent me, which is hilarious. Uh, and we're going to try to reflect on our own impressions and we're going to do best we can to not spoil uh, the more mysterious and compelling moments. But if you want to remain completely unspoiled, it's best now to skip ahead to the gentleman's challenge. So with that being said, Justin, what did you think of Hold the Dark? Not to be confused with the long dark, which is what Justin put in our notes, uh, but which is a video game. Hold the Dark. What did you think? Uh, what I think is I'm glad Venom's next week because I'm tired of thinking. I'm really tired. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, My brain hurts. Point. It's just, I don't know. I know I say this every week, right? I, I'm getting there's a trend to it. But am I really too dumb? Is this what's happening in the end? Am I just a dumb person? I don't think you're too dumb. Uh, 
What do you think you're dumb about? I don't understand. Explain why you feel dumb. Is this supposed to be good? Uh, my first thing was good question mark. That was, okay. <laughs> that's my first note. Like, is this good? Well, I think every movie is attempting to be good. I think that's the goal, with the exception of like B horror movies that are trying to be like bad, but they're trying to be a good bad. But that's not this movie. This movie is 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 being serious. But I think this movie is very much attempting to be good. The question is, did you find it good? Did you find it accessible? You know, did I don't think it's accessible at all. Uh, so what 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 confused you about it, or what sort of what brought on this kind motivations. of motivations? Uh, I'd have to say motivations of action. On this. Okay, expand. Um, what do you mean? Well, for, for, before we get to that, first off, I thought the action sequences that they had involved in the movie were good. Every like major action sequence was riveting and fun to watch. Um, okay. I thought Skarsgård was a good, uh, I guess, villain question question mark. mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. uh, I thought he was. I thought he he played his role very, very well. Of a guy who's clearly going through some stuff and has been through some stuff. Um, even from the moment of the incident in Baghdad or wherever he was over in the Middle East, where he caught a soldier doing something, like it was horrific. But it was like. Uh, so cold and just quick it was just very strange it's almost like he was numb for from what he went through overseas what he was going through overseas on top of you know he lives in stink stink alaska which is just like and i visited for a summer one time for the cruise it was great but i can't imagine living out there it would just be insane um so i thought he was great um so i guess the thing is like First off, everybody whispers in this movie. I'm tired of whispering. Can we talk normal sometimes? I had more trouble actually with the visuals because I watched it during the day, so I had really bad glare because it's a very dark movie too. Yeah. And I don't just mean in terms of like subject matter; I mean in like shooting. But I think that makes up makes sense considering the name of the movie and various other yeah. themes that are going on. Um, but I didn't really have a trouble with whispering as much. Everybody I guess so I guess well. kind of. I crank the volume up though, so whenever like, are they it, keeping you know, a secret? From the people in the next room, like talk to well, each other. I mean, yeah, they kind of are. <laughs> There's a lot of secrets that permeate the movie, and yeah. like, um, the ending of the movie is just mind-boggling. The motivations that lead to the conclusions of what they decide to do once that the climax happens, where they all finally come ahead and meet each other, I, it's just so weird and strange to me and i i felt like there was no real conclusion to this movie um and that stuff kind of bothers me like one of one of the movies that i kind of like but then the ending annoys me is no country for old men because the ending was meant to be like that you know what i mean what what, what's wrong what's the problem with uh with the ending to no country that's just kind of like a matter of fact that he died you know that he killed uh Brolin's character. Oh, it's just like how like matter of fact it is. Yeah, and just sort of like a major character, just like oh look, he's, yeah. Wow. Okay, that's right. Yeah, I always actually kind of liked how how it's very strange to me. Happens. Yeah, kind of bothered me. And this was kind of thing where it's kind of like that too. It's like, well, let's go on to the next thing. And it's just like, can we, there's no resolution here. Can we please have some type of resolution? It's just, it's just very strange. And I found myself thinking, am I just too stupid to understand? Was there a resolution that I missed? Is there something in this whole thing that mm. that, that needs to be, do, do they need to just 
do I need to have an exposition dump? Is that my that type of guy that needs to have someone? Does this need to be a Michael Bay film for me to get? I I don't know. I just don't know what it was. We're never doing a Michael Bay movie. Just okay. I just I don't know. I I enjoyed parts of it. Um, it took me forever to figure out who the cop was, and I realized he was the uh, the guy who had the extremis in uh, Iron Man Three, the bald guy. I was like, oh, yeah, James Badge Dale. He's done a yeah. lot of things. He was in the Pacific, uh, the HBO miniseries. He was on Twenty Four, uh, early, early Twenty Four. I think second season, maybe. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It took a while for me to kind of nail it. I was like, I've seen this guy. Where have I seen this guy? I was like, oh, he's in Iron Man Three. I'm stupid. So halfway through watching the movie, I'm like, oh, that's who it is. Uh, everything goes back to Marvel. Uh, so like, it's the thing where it's like. Certain things were interesting. Certain things were fun. I thought that mask thing was really cool, actually. I thought that's a really cool... Because at a certain point, this movie has somewhat of a slasher feel to it. And um, that mask thing, that wolf mask, I thought was really cool. A nice visual. And I thought visually this movie was fantastic. The uh, the the set pieces and all the different lightings and stuff like that, I thought that was really great. It's just in the end. I don't know. I just need a dumb movie for us to review sometimes. I guess it's all I need. I need a palate cleanse. Like, I didn't hate it, but I just was like, I guess I was mentally frustrated at the end. It's the best way I can kind of describe it. So, anyways, what do you think of it? I thought it was a fascinating movie. Actually, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I, I mean, I definitely sympathize, or at least uh, I can, I can understand. Like, it, it is obtuse at times. I do, and I, I do think it takes. Uh, I'm I'm more of an acute guy, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think you know what that means. Uh, but it is a little kind of peculiar. Um, but I I don't. In terms of resolution at the end, I I do think certain things make sense. Um, in a way, like, but I also think things aren't really spelt out. And you kind of gotta intuit it. At least like my interpretations of the movie and like what actually happened. Um, in terms of the mystery and the motivations that you speak of, which I I agree, like. One of the one of the reasons that I think the movie is sort of peculiar, like why or why did this happen? Like why did certain things happen? And I don't really want to say bitch until we go full spoiler, but like yeah, there are a series of actions that that occur that really makes you wonder exactly why people do the things they do. Um, but I'll say ultimately, I do feel like I, I at least I got some of it. I mean, I probably want to watch it again to see if I get everything, but I, I certainly feel like I kind of got a little bit of why. Um, why Medora did what she did in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, that's one of the big things. Like why? I think I know why. And, um, but I'll I also don't think... I will, I'll give you my guess. Okay. But I don't, it's not, you know, it's not obvious. And I think I know why Vernon did what he did, or at least sort of did what he did. And I think I know, I mean, I think I kind of understand the ending. I think it's all there. Um, I just, you know, it's just not obvious and spelled out. It doesn't have like those extra shots. You ever watch like a movie or a television show where, like you're watching and you know something's about to happen and then the camera like zooms in really closely on the gun or the knife that you know they're about to use so obviously like it has no shots like that where it, which is like just to make sure everyone gets it it's just like no they're just hoping that you're going to get it like they're just hoping that you're going to catch on um so like i'll say this it is not a movie that is 
something you can watch kind of casually. I think I've mentioned this before with other types of shows or other types of movies. It's not the type of thing that you can sit down and watch and just sort of, you know, hope you get it and just kind of chill. It's not a popcorn, you know, punching movie like, you know, like a Michael Bay movie that's just you're there for the set pieces and the explosions and who really cares about plot or character depth, right, or development, right? It's just for the visuals and for fun. Um, it's not even like a James Cameron movie, which is like, a, which are like better versions of Michael Bay movies, right? It's just it's deeper you know and i'm not horribly familiar i've I've watched one of his other films um i'm not going to mention it because i might, it might come up later in a future challenge uh but i mentioned uh, i've watched one of them and it was sort of similar in the sense like it was carefully done i think this is like a, a director that's trying to like not be incredibly uh, you know incredibly obvious about things wants to be subtle with it so Overall, I would recommend it if you're patient. It's a two-hour movie. Like if, if the movie's over two hours long, and strangely enough, it didn't feel that long to me because I was I felt hooked the whole time. I also really like Jeffrey Wright. Um, I've always really enjoyed his performances that I've seen him in. I think to me, he carries Westworld. I, I know that's not true for everybody, um, but for me, I've I always feel like you know he's the way in which I'm viewing the story in some ways. Like he's sort of like the protagonist that we can all else you know that I can plug into. Um, and so I've always really enjoyed him and I really enjoyed him in this too. He's like this flawed old beaten down in a way, a man who's made horrible decisions and feels distant and disconnected from his daughter, the way that this entire village of Keelit feels distant and disconnected from humanity. And that's kind of the idea, like only a couple of years ago, they actually got, you know, plumbing for crying out loud. And so there's a point in the beginning too, where Medora is like, you know, Anchorage, well, that's not Alaska, you know? And so the, this entire village of, of people, they feel this great disconnect from like humanity itself and so there's this primalness and there's like this weird kind of mystical um, sort of referencing of you know skin changing like people shifting into wolves and stuff like that which doesn't really this isn't a werewolf story like like there's sort of generic allusions to those types of things but not really um and there's a lot of tragedy there's like a, just a ton of tragedy there's not a lot of like happiness in this movie so but at the same time, I think it's a type of movie that can make you think it might be obtuse, which I've used multiple times. But I also feel like it's actually a pretty interesting uh, story. So we're going to go and we're going to do some full spoilers right now. Uh, so um, we're warning you, I'm going to go pretty heavy. We're going to ruin the ending. We're going to present our ideas about what actually what actually it means, what it happens. And we're going to do this because much of the much of the movie itself is very mystery driven. Right. And so we don't want to ruin it for you if you plan to watch it. So if you plan to watch it, skip ahead now, probably about 10 minutes or so. Uh, check the check the timestamps for when the gentleman's challenge begins and skip forward to that. All right. All right so go ahead. First thing. Why did he kill the old lady? Why? The old woman? Yeah. Why did Vernon do it? Yeah. Well, I think we got to start elsewhere. I think we need to start with Medora and uh, Vernon. Because in the summary that I did, I mentioned how they were husband and wife. And that's how all of like the media material, I think like IMDB and stuff are, are presenting it. But I don't think that's in fact the case. At one point in the in the actual movie, uh, Core asks her something like, how did you meet your husband? And she says, I never met him. He's always been there. They also have the same color eyes, which is referenced at a different point. To me, their brother and sister, the child is a child of incest. The child had some weird problems as well. And because of that, a child born of incest, that idea of being touched by evil, which is one of the things that she mentions, um, is, is one of the reasons what I think why Medora actually kills the kid. 
which she does because she's trying to kill what she knows is a product of like a form of evil in some way. And I think Vernon is also references of actually having problems before. Like he's never been quite there. He's had some PTSD. The moments that we see um, when he's actually in the military, he's had some quick reactions to like, uh, to like very violent reactions as well. And so I think the idea is that there's like an evilness sort of permeating and this in some way Medora was trying to do it. So like, I don't think they were husband and wife so much as they were brother and sister and that the kid itself is sort of like this product of that incest. And as such is, I guess, represent representatively some sort of evil that needed to be snuffed from, from the earth in some way. Okay. That's one of the things that I would say. Did you, did you agree with that or? Sure. Cause I didn't get that, but if you get those context <laughs> clues, okay. I did not. Uh, okay. And then, okay. So old lady, why they kill the old lady? Uh, the woman. Um, well, I think at that point, one of the reasons is that if, if I'm to, to be understood, like she was one of the people like you're talking about the, the, the woman who was barely in the, in the movie, right? The Inuit woman. Right. I think she, I'm not sure specifically why she was killed, but I assume she was killed because she knew things. Um, she like, I mean, the people in the village might have known things possibly, or just because Vernon is, you know, snapped and went a little crazy or, um, wanted to get to her first because he didn't want to necessarily kill Medora because he's got this weird love for her and he was afraid of what might happen if they do find her. So I'm not entirely sure specifically why, but like, I, I mean, I have a couple ideas that I can throw out there that po probably justify it. I'm not sure if it's like motivation. It's more justification, I suppose. All right. Last question. Why did they bang at the end? Uh, well, okay. They that's bang? the biggest I mean, thing where it's like why didn't he kill her why'd they bang what is going on well because they're he's not right in the head um number one and i think number two i don't think this was about him getting revenge and killing her like i i, I never felt entirely that that was the case i always felt that was a little bit different right i, I felt it was more about like him sort of taking it into his own hands um but I also feel like in some way it was like, I mean, he was sort of struggling with himself at that point. And even though she did what she did, like he still has this kind of bizarre ancestral love for her. So, um, and also like killing all the cops yeah. and stuff. Like when they, when he first comes in, it's like, I just didn't understand. Like, why are we killing the cops? Like, what's the reason why? Okay. So I don't know in, Entirely. I mean, like Chian, Chian kind of went is the one that you're talking about who went absolutely crazy with. Like, no, I'm not, I'm talking about when he shoots. Uh, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then later on, when like they come and visit him. So one of the things that I think was was, was happening with Keelit is that they felt that the cops weren't doing enough because two other um, two other children went missing and they were blaming on on wolves. And I actually don't believe that wolves had anything to do with any of the three missing kids. I feel like. All of the missing kids were probably gone for different reasons, killed for different reasons. Um, but that's just sort of like a guess. I just sort of feel like the wolves were probably innocent in all this and just being used as, as, as some sort of scapegoat in a way. Um, but I would say that I don't know why he necessarily killed those two specifically, but I think the general idea was that like they didn't like the cops because of the the disconnect, right? This idea that they didn't do what they were supposed to do and that they weren't really like that separation um, of like 
from society or from civilization to like where they were on the outskirts of it. Right. And so like that disconnect wasn't just about like a disconnect between each other, but also a disconnect from like what was actually um, what we consider civilization. And so it's just like, they just hated them for some reason. And they just, they just didn't care at that point. Like Chion to me, I think one of the reasons he flipped because his wife left him. And so I think something happened. And, he, and we know that he, he was the father of one of the missing kids. I think it was, a, I think it was a girl. And I, I get the sense that like either he did or his wife did something that resulted in the daughter's death. And there's like this great guilt that sort of held up on them somehow. Again, I'm just sort of guessing, like I'm not a freaking genius here. I'm just sort of going with how I'm trying to piece the things together. I want to watch it a second time because I feel like I'm, I'm, I might've missed some things along the way. And now that I've seen the whole picture, I might be able to understand certain instances with better context. Um, so, I mean, that's the best answers I can give you. And I don't even know the right answers. Yeah, I, I don't want to think anymore. My brain hurts. Okay. I, need, I need venom as soon as possible. That's what I need. Uh, sure, that'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> okay, so anyway, Hold the Dark. I recommend it. Justin doesn't know if he even watched the movie. He's not really sure. Um, to me, yeah. I find it really interesting and challenging. Um, but I don't necessarily know um, if... I got it all right. So, but I also want to watch it again to see if I did get it all. So I guess that's a good thing, right? Like ultimately that actually is a telling thing. I so guess. I, I, I guess. thought it was interesting. I thought it was depicted really well. I thought the tone was amazing. I thought the visuals, like Justin said, looked great. Like, I'm sorry, but whenever you've got like some remote village and that remote village is in like snow, like I'm hooked already. I don't know why it is. I think it's the thing. I think it's because of the thing as well. Anyway, that's it for our breakdown of this week. We're going to go ahead and do the gentleman's challenge. And now, it's time for the Gentleman's Challenge. All right, so the Gentleman's Challenge, the segment we do here on the Lollygaggers podcast, where Justin and I like to give each other a homework assignment. Uh, This homework assignment is usually something we don't want to do, we don't really like. Uh, and we're just trying to drive the other kind of crazy. Sometimes it's a show, sometimes it's a movie, sometimes it's a game. And to ensure that we did our homework, we come back the next week and we quiz the other person about what they watched. Uh, I should also mention that the Gentleman's Challenge is a heavy spoiler zone. So if you don't want anything to be ruined at all about the topics that we're going to cover, uh, you probably shouldn't listen until after you've watched uh, or completed the games of whatever we challenged each other on. And on that note, uh, Justin's going to go ahead and start us off this week. Uh, Justin... What was your challenge? I watched Curse of the Demon from 1957. or Also, also sometimes known as Night of the Demon. That's correct. All right. So this is basically the way IMDb describes it is American professor John Holden arrives in London for a parapsychology conference only to find himself investigating the mysterious actions of devil worshiper Julian Carswell. Um. So let me preface this with, uh, I don't really like old movies there very much. Um, and, and so it's not that I... This is going to be a rough month for you then. Yeah. Well, it's not that I dislike them. It's just that maybe I'm just spoiled by our technology now. And uh, that's exactly like that. what it is. Yeah. I, I think you're also, I think it's a sense of spoiled, being spoiled, but also a sense of entitlement. Like you're entitled to things being looking better or things sounding better or things acting better or whatever it might be. Well, there are some parts in this that I liked. Uh, when it the whole movie's like, fantastic, actually. Like the, the movie's fantastic. Uh, but, anyways, it stars uh, Dana Andrews as John Holden, Peggy Cummings as Joanna Harrington, 
And then you have uh, Neil McGinnis is Dr. Carswell. So anyways, like I said, uh, John Holden goes to a parapsychologist uh, uh, conference. While he's there, he gets contacted by Joanna Harrington, who says that her uncle has gone missing and that uh, she thinks that this man, uh, Julian Carswell, has something to do with it um, and that she thinks that he's part of a devil-worshipping society and she did, he did something to kind of curse her uncle to make it so that uh, he was attacked and uh, is now missing or catatonic or something like that. So uh, he then starts to investigate a little bit because he's a parapsychologist. He believes and he believes that there's skepticism and everything. So like this guy just denies it. He's like one of those guys that unless you see it, you don't believe it type of thing. Um, and he just doesn't think that there's any truth to it. So he thinks that he can just go see Carswell and show that everything he's doing is just sleight of hand. None of it is really uh, paranormal at all. It's all just tricks and um, scientifically based explanations to what's going on. So when he slowly starts to uh, see Carswell and start interviewing him or like asking him questions, uh, he does all these different little types of tricks. He makes the wind go really, really fast. I'm like, there's a tornado outside. He, uh, he does different types of things. Like he has a cat that attacks him, but when it's attacking uh, Holden, it's like a giant leopard. And so he says it was a demon familiar that he has. And that was just protecting his, his area. But he's just like, it's just a cat. He goes, Oh, it's not just cat. Um, so he's uh, the whole time. John Holden's trying to uh, debunk all the things that he's saying by, by rationale and scientific uh, pathology. So that's basically the, the back and forth with that. Over time, they find that when someone has passed a piece of parchment, they are doomed to die. Um, and throughout the course of the movie, eventually John gets past this piece of parchment. And Carswell says that he's going to die at a specific time on a specific day at 10 o'clock. Um, and that if he doesn't, you know, that he has no control over it, that he will die. And uh, at, at a certain point, John gets chased by uh, the big demon and sees some stuff that finally he sees it. So he believes it. And so he says, OK, there's got to be something to this. So he has to try his best to pass that parchment back onto Carswell. At the end of the movie, uh, they meet in a boxcar in a train uh, in one of the uh, like the what would be called like rooms that people stay in during like long train rides and he tricks him into uh i don't know what's called i'm dumb he tricks him into taking his jacket and when he takes his jacket he has the parchment in it and he is then doomed because now he has and it was supposed to happen at 10 o'clock so i gave it to him like two minutes to go to 10, to 10 o'clock and when he takes it he then gets uh picked up by the demon in a hilarious fashion and uh uh, it's not hilarious. That was terrifying. Are you kidding? Yeah, terrifying. Uh, hilarious such fashion. A jerk. You really beat up and oh. uh, thrown back on the track. So it looks like he was hit by a train instead of attacked by a demon, making it so that it could possibly be debunked again. You know, but really, in the end, it was a supernatural feel to it. Um, which actually, this has a few parallels to your challenge, if you ask me. Like, was it a demon or was it right? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Was it a, were, were there really giants or were there not? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Sure. So, uh, what did I think of it? I mean, it's fine. 
I, I I'm indifferent to it. I don't I didn't hate it. There's some moments I liked a lot, like the the uh what was it, the hypnosis scene I thought was really good. I liked that scene, the intimacy and like the the weirdness involved with it, involving the parchment and all that stuff, and that guy is just losing his mind. I thought that was a really interesting scene. Um overall, uh I felt like Dana Andrews was drunk most of the time when he was filming this. It just sure seemed like it at times that this guy had drank too much. What kind of comment is that? Okay. I don't know. There's a lot of slurred words and stuff. And there's a lot of, because it's 1957, there's a lot of uh, sexist acts that happen in this movie, which I think well, is... It was 1957. Yeah. I'm just like, well, yeah. this is a time capsule. Look at this. And um, like, oh, she's... That woman's too much into the books. I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> so it's like little stuff like that. Or it's like... <laughs> when he's talking slightly to dated her, yeah, slightly yeah, yeah. Dated. when he's talking to her on the couch he's like stop talking all of this stuff and let's just talk about each other i'm like oh geez what is this um but like it was fine the special effects of course are super dated the demon is horrifying looking and by that i mean uh how they made him look terrible but you know it's 1957 so it's not going to be you know like okay so two points first point looks amazing you got to put yourself in the shoes of a 1957 moviegoer and that's like not something that they commonly see like that's that's freaking amazing second point is that the director actually didn't want it at all and that the studio put it in uh without his actual approval so this is like a marvel movie before marvel movies i see okay okay sure yeah Mm. so uh, god you embarrass me uh what i will say though is i think that this is the beginning of the jump scare uh because there's a lot of moments where it's (laughs) It's dead quiet oh my god there's a lot of moments where it's dead quiet and they're like train or cat and just like really super loud moments like it's dead quiet and then they just like and like there's there's just a lot of those jump scares and because this movie isn't you know high tension for me because this doesn't really up upset me or scare me at all like it didn't bother me but i couldn't imagine i could imagine being in 1957 Ooh, big tough guy not yeah, scared yeah. by 1957 demon hey. okay whatever yeah hey, what i i beat i big beat strong, uh, man i beat outlast too i can do it all now uh but like uh justin i want to go see mandy because it just looked too much for him okay uh venom anyway so like the thing was like <laughs> uh I could see myself in a 1957s movie and that just scaring the bejesus out of me because of just the suddenness of it. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from. But like as a whole, like the the idea of the demon stuff wasn't very scary. I think where it comes down to is the scariness is like the startled feeling you get with those loud moments over time. It was fine. But I am also super uh, spoiled by my technology that I'm part of now these days, and I'm, I've never really been into these older movies. Like, and it's a shame that you have such a small capacity to to examine a little bit of our history, a little bit of our culture, sure, where things came from. Yeah, like we were watching when we went to my brother's this past Christmas. We watched um, what's that one with the uh, singing in the rain? I'm like, I forget the name of that movie with clark gable and all stuff i'm just like some people just love that stuff and i just i'm like this is so boring and i can't take this where are the explosions so i don't know uh it was okay i guess you got questions yeah i do i do i do 
your 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 reaction is literally the uh, the the pinpoint reaction I thought you would have. Right, uh, okay. You know uh, question number one. Yeah, works. I don't know. Yeah, uh, brain okay. stutters along. Question number one. Carswell has a bunch of little statues on his mantle, and there's also uh, these statues appear throughout the movie here and there as well. Uh, what are they of? Like little tchotchkes and things like that. Yeah. Were they of like monkeys? I think it was monkeys. Ooh, that's incorrect. Uh, cherubs is what I'm I'm looking for. It's a like cherub. Little, it's like a it's like a baby angel kind of. It's, it's not really. Uh, you you know you would know it if you saw it for sure. Yeah, I know sure about. I think my okay. grandma used to collect those. So yeah, I know sure about. Sure. Uh, I uh, I watched this movie for a uh, film class uh, when I was at the University of Florida, and uh, the, the teacher just was trying to do this huge uh, this huge thesis about like angels and demons, and like pointed out the cherubs and stuff, and so it always like it always stuck with me. Uh, question number two. What type of demon did Hobart sketch specifically? What type of demon? All right. So all I can really think of is, well, because I'm having a problem because I'm thinking also of like, uh, I kill giants because there was pictures in that too. So like, I'm getting the wires what? crossed on pictures? my Pictures? That's so strange. In a movie, yeah. They're moving pictures. The pictures <laughs> move. It's great. Uh, but it was We should like, have done this whole thing in an old timey voice. <laughs> like they did in the movie uh i it's like uh it was like a big hairy demon with wings and a tail that's all i can kind of remember it just looked a lot oh like the gosh. demons in the beginning. that is exactly wrong uh it's oh. a oh. it's a fire demon yeah a that's a fire, fire demon you say it's a fire demon yeah <laughs> all right question yeah. number three question number three so you mentioned really liking the whole that whole one scene. Uh, uh, so I'm gonna I have a question from it. So let's see how much you paid attention. Uh oh. What do the spirits sometimes resent, and what do they like? Oh, you know what do they resent, and what do they like? This. No, I wasn't talking about mm. not the one like where the guy fire demons. No, the guy. Are you talking about the soothsaying part? The or the hypnotizing part. I'm talking about the, the. Oh, you're talking about the. Okay, the hypnotist thing. I'm talking about the psychic one, like when they go to right. the medium and it's like the BS one. Oh, I by the way, I was waiting was the whole time for there to be a super racist moment at that spot. By the way, uh-huh. I, was like, I was like, oh mm-hmm. no, this is what's going to happen. Um, they don't like the lights, right? They don't like the lights on, and they like it when they sing, because that's how she brought them in. Because they were both okay. Singing. I'm going to give you half credit because you got the singing part. But what they don't like, what they sometimes resent specifically is previous knowledge. Uh, uh, okay. you, you, you got the singing part right. That's absolutely okay. Right. okay, okay. I thought like when they turn the lights on, no, they're just upset. They're just upset that they're they're awaking him while he was in the middle of a seance. That's why. Um. Well, what, what, I'm specifically referencing the part and scene when at the very beginning where he starts to tell him um uh, about like what what's going on and he's like no 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 don't tell me sometimes the uh, spirits resent previous knowledge so but yeah i'll give you half credit for that for sure okay all right what's on joanna harrington's license plate what what how am i supposed to know <laughs> did you watch the film yeah i did clearly you didn't i heard a license plate uh-huh i don't know i really don't know is the number six six six? Was there? 
the number of the beast and that's how you're know. supposed to know it come on man i thought you i thought for sure you're gonna get that yeah, one i didn't get that i thought okay. you're gonna ask me this is one i thought you're definitely gonna ask i thought you're gonna ask uh uh where are so what was it where uh detectives from they're from or where are skeptics from they're from missouri i thought you're gonna yeah. ask me that uh no i do have one more question uh which is similar not well not similar to that but i mean it's another smarky you know, kind of response. What's easier to stop than Carswell's demon? Oh, I don't know. That train? Or no, actually, it might be harder. No, what's harder to stop than a Carswell's demon? I think I wrote it down wrong. But yeah, what's harder to stop than Carswell's demon? Not was this, was it like something with a woman? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's a woman with her mind made up. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was funny because you referenced so... like... The dated nature <laughs> of the yeah. a woman with a mind made up. They should yeah. just be in the kitchen making us dinner, right, boys? This is ridiculous. It's 1957. You got to take that with it, you know. <laughs> so sorry, it's how it works. Anyway, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. I'm try- trying so hard to broaden your mind, but uh, it's just not going to happen. I guess. All so. right, my turn. So as Justin has already referred to, I uh, did a movie about giants. It's specifically a movie called I Kill Giants, which is a 2017 film it's sort of a tearjerker slash fantasy drama kind of it's directed by anders walter and it's based on a comic of the same name by joe kelly and actually published by image comics uh it stars madison wolf as barbara who is a young girl in the northeast was it rhode island i think it was rhode island um who i think it was rhode island i think it was birchville was Birchville was the name of the, the, the town itself but she fights giants uh, that's threatening her town using her trusty magical warhammer Kovaleski and also wearing bunny ears. Um, at least that's what she says she does. So there's a significant reason to suspect that the giants we see throughout the film, and we see a couple, um, are all purely uh, in her imagination. Um, kind of there as a way to avoid dealing with uh, the pending death of her mother, who we don't really learn till later is upstairs in her room um, dying sadly uh probably from cancer um so throughout the course of this uh the movie barbara sort of befriends sophia who is a new girl in town from leeds england and the only reason anyone knows of that is because of leeds i guess no wait she said something like no one ever hears no one ever in this new place of birchville has heard of leeds but they've heard of england at least um anyway who sometimes the two of them seem to be friends and play along and sophia kind of you know humors her and sometimes not um, Image and Poots plays Barbara's older sister, who is doing their best to can her, you know, best she can to kind of keep things afloat while her bedridden mother is, um, you know, upstairs dealing with uh, with her illness. And her teenage brother really doesn't do anything but play video games. We see him like once or twice, and that's it. Um, all the while, as Barbara prepares to fight a forest giant near an abandoned train yard, she's picked on by a bully. Uh, is taunted a bit by these things called harbingers, which are basically watchers who seem to precede a giant attack and just sort of watch as it happens. And they're really creepy looking, shadowy things. Uh, and she draws the attention of the school psych- psychologist who is played by Zoe Saldana, um, who's really just trying to help. She used to be like a hedge fund manager and she's trying to do something better with her life. And she has, she has like her own family now and her baby now, who's like this colicky, finicky, uh, finicky smart pants or something like that. Um, so throughout the movie, there are a bunch of scenes with giants themselves, um, mainly with this forest giant that's lingering around the forest, and she's trying to lure out and fight a few different ways, but it doesn't really come out until finally towards the end, But all, and also with a titan at the very end. Uh, but Barbara is the only one that can actually see these. There is this one tiny scene where Sophia sees what could potentially be like a footprint, but it might just be a puddle. 
Um, so it's kind of easy for us to dismiss what we're seeing and think this is just all kind of in her head. It's possible, I suppose, because there's like this weird unexplained storm front that hits at the end when Barbara has to confront the Titan, which is the largest and strongest of giants. Um, and, you know, it, it, I, I still think it's probably mostly in her head, but it's still kind of fun to think that these giants perhaps could exist. Um, but she has this moment with the Titan, which is sort of interesting because this entire time she thinks the Titan, you know, these giants are these horrible, evil creatures. But in fact, like the Titan and her have this fairly honorable and a conversation in the middle of this storm that's, uh, you know, pelting the, the, the Jersey coast. Um, and the Titan reveals that he's there not for her, her mother, her mother, but for Barbara herself, which Barbara starts to, this is when like, she's having her sudden epiphany and her change. And the giant basically teaches her to find joy in life um, while you're living it. Right. And not to fear death or avoid joy, even if it's limited. Um, and so that's when she, she like she's sinking to the bottom of the ocean and looks like she's about to die, but then she's like not afraid anymore. And so she swims back up to the surface, goes and goes upstairs and finally goes and sees her mother and spends some time with her during a school break. Um, and then seems to sort of turn the corner. Unfortunately, her mother does actually die at the end, but Barbara handles it pretty much as well as a kid that could possibly handle it at that point. And she, by the end of the movie, she has sort of changed fairly considerably. Sophia and her are really good friends at this point. And uh, Zoe Saldana's character seems to be, having a good time as child psychologist at, at the, at this, uh, this here school. What did I think of it? Um, I thought it was okay. I don't think it was great to be honest. Um, I felt that it was a little on obvious side in terms of what was going on. And I felt like some of the, some of the stuff that going on with giants felt a little strange. I still don't understand why giants um, other than like the fact that, Kovaleski was like a giant killer. Like there was that. So I guess she got sort of obsessed with giants because of that for some reason. Um, but I don't know. It was sort of, it was okay. It felt like it was just a little too, too sentimental and it wasn't, um, yeah, it wasn't really riveting in any particular way. And I honestly don't think that like the Barbara Sophia friendship was all that fascinating. At one point, Sophia like sides with the bully and, and shows the bully uh, Barbara's like secret traps and stuff like, like why on earth would you do that? Like, it just makes no sense. Um, there are a couple interesting moments here and there. I certainly like that Barbara is a, is a definitely a budding D and D player and I, uh, you know, RPG -er, So uh, definitely, I uh, like that part. definitely kudos to her for that. Um, she had a, had a, you know, kind of a newbie dungeon ready to go that her, her brother and her friends didn't want to play, but, uh, oh, well, that's fine. Uh, and she also was playing in the back room of, uh, of the uh, the game store, so there's a nice little hits here and there. Um, but it was it was okay. Like it was okay. I don't want to say it was a bad film, but at the same time, I don't know. I just I felt like it didn't really hit the mark at times. I felt like the it was kind of plotting, and I felt like it it was obvious what was going to happen. And I don't necessarily know if the ride to get to what was the obvious ending was incredibly enjoyable, especially since like the stuff with the the giants. <sighs> I mean, there were a couple of moments with them, but they weren't like overwhelming. Um, and even when they were, it was just kind of, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a better than meh kind of film, but it's not a ton for me. Like, I don't know. It's, it, it was okay. Like it was definitely okay. It was a little moving here and there, but yeah, I thought, I thought it could have been better. I was hoping it was going to be better to be honest. It's not at all what I thought it was going to be when you told me what it was. Cause you're like, Oh, it's like anime or something like that. I'm like, this got nothing to do with anime. What are you talking about? Like, this is more to do with like D and D and stuff than it has to do with anime. But 
Uh, but it was okay. It was okay. It was definitely like, you know, C plus B minus type of movie for me, like a little, you know, above average, but not like, not like crazily above average. My wife probably like a baby at the end of it, by the way. Of course. I mean, like, how could you not? But at the same time, that's exactly what the movie was going yeah, to do, was, right? Yeah. Like, and, and, and it's those types of movies, like when they, like i don't know maybe it's just i'm um i have no emotion like you have no brain i have no emotion we're like we're like half of the <laughs> we're like half of like the wizard of oz or something like that but um i don't know it's just like whenever like a movie is like hey look man i'm gonna make you cry and i'm like actually you're probably not because you're trying too hard you know and like if you're gonna get me to cry it's gonna be like those unexpected moments of sadness where it really feels kind of authentic and not kind of like telegraphed from a mile away so I don't know. I'm actually curious about checking out the comic, especially since it's image comics. Um, so I do want to take a look at that and see what the source material is like and see if it maybe it comes across a little bit more interestingly in there. If it's not confined to like an hour and 45 minutes. And I also felt like it did. I felt like the pacing a little bit long, a little bit slow at times, um, but solid movie, not a great movie. Like it's 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 worth seeing. It's on Hulu. Um, so if you have a Hulu, definitely check it out. I think it's interesting, especially if you like drama. Um, especially if you like some geek references here and there, but um, it's okay. All right. So you ready for your questions then? Uh, I will try. All right. So first question, get my paper going. How many emblems or marks or whatever were at the school that she was counting? Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, like 12. I don't know. There was 39. 39. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I remember, I remember the scene of her counting them. I don't remember the total. Yeah, the 39th one had been broken off the uh, drain, so there's yeah, sure did. Okay, so that's that's one. Next one. What uh-huh. do ice giants season reindeer with? Hmm, I don't what recall. Do that. Ice giants season reindeer with season reindeer with because she there's a sequence where she's talking about all the different giants. Yeah, and the very did you only watch like the first fifteen minutes? Again? I watched the whole thing. I enjoyed this movie. I liked it a lot. It's like two two quiz questions in the first fifteen minutes. What do they season giants with? Uh, I don't know. The tears of young children. I'm not sure. It was the kidneys of men. So oh yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Of course, sure. What was the skeleton's mouth? Ma- what was in the skeleton's mouth that Barbara a donut? The- there you go. That's how it was. It's like a yeah. Simpsons donut too. You watch the first 15 minutes and the last 15 minutes. I see your game. No, I watched Justin. the whole thing this morning. I, I watched it with my game. wife this morning. I woke up and she goes, What mm. is this? I started watching this it. This is not the type of movie it. to watch in the morning because this is going to like ruin your day for the rest of the day. Oh, we started watching it. And yeah. so I was watching, I was just planning on watching it in bed and she stayed and watched. And at the end of it, she's like, <laughs> So, uh, whatever, ruined her day. I was fine. Uh, Good job. And, uh last the first one i had was the easy one so i didn't even i decided not to give you this one so what was your favorite baseball team that by the end of the i, I wrote that in the beginning oh, it's like the phillies yeah. yeah i wrote that in the beginning but then they say it like 18 other times i was like well i'm not using that one um yeah and then they have the, the pennants and stuff as well yeah yeah i thought it was gonna be a little bit less on the nose so i wrote that at first but i got rid of that one anyways the last question was were the giants real uh i mean no uh they aren't and they weren't they were all uh kind of a way in her mind for uh her to kind of kind of overcome the block of, of being able to see uh, her mother uh and that is the correct answer because there's no reason to assume that they were so there you go uh i'll give it to you i guess i guess i just live more of a fantastical world where i want giants to be real and then we'll talk just to because you. you want something to be real doesn't mean it is real 
I would like to be a billionaire. That's what I want to have happen, but I am not a billionaire. So, yeah. Uh, what's more likely to happen? You be a billionaire or there be giants? I think there's probably more likely for me to be a billionaire. Nah, I don't know about that. Sure, sure. I think that's Andre the likely. Giant was a person, right? And he, he was, was a not giant. a giant though. His that was his that was his wrestling moniker. No, that was that's in his name. Like that's his last name. No, it's not his name. His name was Andre. The Giant was his wrestling moniker. The Giant was his last name. It was not. <laughs> Are you sure. It really wasn't. Anyways, You're you got yourself. Uh, <laughs> so dumb. Two out of four. Right. You got what? Half? I think you got I half. Got, out of four. Yeah, that's that's about normal. There's not any that you could really argue that you should have gotten partial credit for, in my opinion. So whatever. Uh, I'm okay with it. You got the fire demon wrong, you got the cherubs wrong. Old movie. You got the half half credit with You're me. lucky I stayed awake through the whole thing. That's what you're lucky. I'm not lucky. I don't really get you're lucky you stayed away from it. I'm trying to watch it. It's like, bit. oh man, this is an old movie. It is. I'm trying Worst, to culture you a bit. Mm-hmm. Where's the I'm gonna, gas go, I'm gonna go back. I was gonna go to the 70s with it, but now I might go back even further. Nosferatu. No, 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 no. I got, I got better than that. I mean, what do you do? You like uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari from like the 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 teens, something like that. Yeah, do something like that. There we go. You got you, you ready? New quiz. You ready? Sure, I guess. All right, go for it. Uh, you're gonna watch Baywatch. Uh, okay, the new one. It's on Hulu. How it's exciting! Hulu. You get. I know I'll enjoy watching it because I like anything The Rock makes. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, uh, Alexander Daddario is in it. So, another one for me. You are the creepiest person in the world. Like, so, you, like, seriously, stop doing this. Like, I will quit the podcast if you keep being this so, creepy. Like, I'm dead. This I won't mind watching it. This is too be an adult. Be so an adult. Enjoy, be respectful. Enjoy Baywatch. You get to watch okay. Baywatch. How, how, man, how exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Justin, I have a question for you. Uh-huh. What do Grand Moff Tarkin, Count Dooku, and Kojak have in common? They're all dead. What else do they have in common? <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> That's actually a good answer. That's a good answer. What else do they have in common? Receding hairlines. No. Well, I mean, Kojak doesn't have any hair, so it's not really receding. So who knows? Uh, they were be. all. In the 1972 movie Horror Express, which is your next challenge, is it called Horror Express or it's is called it Horror ex- Horror, like the word horror, okay. and then the word Express? I thought it was like the horror movie Express. No, it's called Horror Express. It's okay, like, all right. So it's on a, it's on train. I'm assuming. Yeah, it, it, you can get it on YouTube. It's up on YouTube. I'm pretty sure. Like, yeah, okay. all right. yeah. Looking forward yeah. to it. It's a pretty good one. Uh, I watched this a long time ago. Uh, when well, not that long ago, I guess. I watched this maybe about 12, 15 years ago. The last time I watched it is when uh, what was it called? Uh, Count Dooku uh, was introduced to the uh, to the Star Wars universe because I'm like, hey, look at that, another person. Like that's two people from the Star Wars universe that are now in this movie. He was Peter also the man with the golden gun. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, exciting. there you go. Okay, uh, let's finish this. This is way too long. Uh, okay, so you can find us up on the old internet at lollygaggerco.com, and you can catch me on Twitter at lollygaggerco. Uh, if you could, if you would be so inclined, wherever you catch our podcast, whether it's iTunes or some other place like Stitcher or something, uh, drop us a little review, give us a little thumbs up or star, whatever other metric they use. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. If you have any suggestions on quizzes that I could give to Justin or Justin can give to me, uh, we'll happy to happy to take those as well on any uh any place you want to send them to us is totally fine. Uh, Justin, I'm going to tell us where you are streaming at. 
Uh, Twitch.tv slash Jehufa, J H O H O O F A H dot com. Uh, I hate you. I hate you. I, I'm a geometry. I can't see right now. I hate you. I hate you no matter what because I can't tell you for doing this because you're referencing the joke from last week where you're I'm really not. on purpose. I'm really not. Or if you're doing it on purpose again. Either way, I hate you for it. I just I really not. You. I just keep forgetting. Gabe, I need a new podcast partner. Uh, <laughs> so if you're listening to this, Go ahead, and I can. I mean, I we have a lot in common, and we can play board games together. Because Twitch.tv slash Jehuva, check me out there anytime on weekends. <laughs> right now, when football's over, I'll be doing a lot more. But uh, right now, it's mostly just weekends. So yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. It's time to say thank yous. You, you ready to say thank yous? Yeah. All right. I want to thank people that have enough personal awareness to pull up their pants so the rest of us don't have to see their ass crack. Because uh, honestly, I feel like it's a, it's apparently a very difficult and underrated skill to master, uh, especially if you judge by the three people I ran into today at my game store while I was doing a board game trade. Uh, so yeah, and, and anyway, thanks to those three people, by the way, for perpetuating that ridiculous stereotype and making it worse for all us geek gamers out there. Awesome. I want to thank the running clock in football because last year or the year before, it was a godsend because it meant that we were winning and getting off the field. But now it just means we just get the, the crap beat out of us and we're about to leave the game. So um, it's weird how things changed in about two years. So uh, running clock, thanks a lot. I want to thank Ian McShane, uh, who was born in 1942 on this day of our recording, uh, so September 29th. He popularized, or in my opinion, he, he repopularized the C word, and I ain't talking cancer, uh, by his wonderful role in Dead Word, uh, called uh, by the character name of Al Swearingen. So, anyway, happy birthday, Ian McShane, who is, uh, I, I feel, an avid listener of our podcast. Sure. Finally, I want to thank uh, the Deland Art Festival for ruining my lunch this afternoon because my wife was going to get these fantastic subs from a great place in downtown. And uh, then they had an art festival, and they said, oh, the only way to get these sandwiches is if uh, they park like three blocks away. So I had to settle for Firehouse. I mean, what is this? So thanks a lot, Deland Art Festival. You're ruining my life.